Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Psalm 96, which ought to sound a little familiar from our call to worship this morning. Psalm 96, 1 through 9, can be found on page 483 in our few Bibles, or 934 in the large print. Before I read, let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for giving us everything that we need, not because we deserve it, but because you are generous, because you are good, and because you care. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word and ask that you would help us to read it, to listen to it, to learn from it that we would come to know better who you are and who we are and what it means for us to have life with you because of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 96, verses 1 through 9. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of the nations, of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him. All the earth. Turning to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, which can be found on page 838 in our few Bibles, or 1604 in the large print. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom the master, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
For those of you who were here last week for senior breakfast, uh, there was a moment where we had each of the seniors share what it was that they were going to do after graduation, and um, none of them wanted to share first, or second, or third, or anywhere in the line, really. And so it was sort of this comical moment as each one, with their turn, tried to shift over and hide to the end of the line. But when we got to Megan, who was at the end of the line, I said, sorry, Megan, there's nowhere left to hide. <laughs> and uh, and so they all, in turn, and they did beautifully, of course. But the reason I share that now is because uh, the passage we have for this morning from First Peter is one of the, a really uncomfortable passage for everybody. And it's a kind of passage where it makes us all want to find a place to hide. And there's nowhere to hide. It doesn't leave that option to us anywhere. And we usually like to find those passages where it's easy to hide. Where you find a sin that is condemned so clearly and it's one that you don't struggle with. Say, oh, I like that. I'll read that one over and over again. But this isn't one of those passages. This is one of those passages that... uh, in fact, talks about the sin that is greater than all the other sins. In fact, before I even get to what it is, I want to uh, share with you how C.S. Lewis opens his chapter in Mere Christianity that he calls The Great Sin, where he spends an entire chapter just dealing with his one thing. It's that big a deal. Here's how it begins. As I, come, I now come to that part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine they are guilty themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who is not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. Now, I will tell you, I'm going to stop right there. I was a little tempted just to read the whole chapter this morning because he deals with it so well there. But I will just give you that uh, introduction to it and recommend it uh, that you read it afterwards. So now that we know what we're dealing with, turn to First Peter chapter 5, just the first six verses. And in six short verses, we see how we have nowhere to hide. Here we go. To the elders among you, 
I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. There it is. As I say, there's nowhere to hide. Because he first addresses kind of those who are in positions of leadership, and then those who are not in positions of leadership, and then comes back around and says, okay, now all of you, this is how you are to be to one another. Well, that pretty well sums it up. With everybody. This is how we are to be with each other. And the biggest problem with it is this is not how we are. And that's why we have nowhere to hide. This was the problem that started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. This is what uh, C.S. Lewis says later in that same chapter that has been tearing apart relationships and families and nations ever since the beginning. It's pride. That it, pride is essentially competitive. It's not that you want something, it's that you want something more than somebody else. It's not enough to be pretty. You have to be prettier than someone else. That's where the pride comes in. It's not that you have nice things, it's that you have nicer things than someone else. That's where the pride comes in. It is when everything that you do and everything uh, that you think, everything that you act on, thing that you say, there's a part of you that is calculating as you do these things, even subconsciously in the back of your mind, now will people think more of me as a person? Now will they think better of me? And this is what is death to soul. It is absolute soul cancer that we have no way to heal on our own. There is good news. Is Jesus. But but before we get there, we have to deal with what this is in each of us. And as Lewis pointed out, it's the kind of thing the more we have it, the less we're even aware that we've got it. In fact, he ends his whole chapter. I told you I wasn't going to read your whole thing, and here I am doing it anyway. There's so much more. He ends the whole thing by saying, uh, if you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited, indeed. Like I say, there's nowhere to hide. This is not one of those where you look at it and you say, oh, I know people who deal with this one. Glad it's not me. I'm better than the Oops. Right. But listen to how Peter addresses this. He doesn't just say, you guys are full of pride, feel bad about it. That's not, the, that's not how he comes across at all. In fact, he doesn't even say, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I say to those of you who are not apostles, get it straight. Instead, he identifies himself 
He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Those of you who are in positions of leadership, I'm right there with you. I am in a position of leadership, and I share the same struggles you do. I'm a fellow elder, and I am also, though, a witness of Christ's sufferings. And this is one of the themes that we've seen throughout Peter's letter as he writes. The Peter who didn't understand why in the world the Messiah would ever suffer and die, out on the other side of the resurrection and with the power of the Holy Spirit says, ah, now we can embrace any suffering. And he says, as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, also one who will share in the glory to be revealed. In other words, one who is fully confident that the sufferings that Jesus went through were not the end. We saw that. But they won't be the end for us either. And so we can endure the suffering. And we don't have to guard our pride anymore. We can let it go. In other words, Peter is sharing this as good news. Not as, you people are being proud. Get get rid of that. Um, So I can feel better about myself. No. It is, I have good news. There's actually a remedy for this pride. And then what he tells them to do. Listen, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. That's what he says to all those who are in leadership positions. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Do you hear what he's saying? The way that he addresses the those in leaders in leadership positions, those elders in the church and in the faith, the way that he says that you deal with the issue of pride, don't keep looking at yourself. Everything he gives in there is, here's how to take care of others. Take care of them this way. Take care of them this way. Don't And make sure you're doing this with the right heart. Don't do it because, well, I will take care of them if it pays. I will do this if they will think well of me. I will, no. He says, don't lord it over them. Don't do it for dishonest gain. Do this with the right heart. So there are a lot of other sins, by the way, that you can avoid and still have a prideful heart. There are a lot of things, actually, that will you can avoid other sins, and it will encourage the pride in you. Because you can look at others who are sinning in that way and say, well, I'm better than they are. I'm not doing that. And so you can actually avoid sinning while sinning. I've heard it... Uh, quoted, and I can't remember the source of it now, but there was a character in a uh, short story who had found that uh, the best way to avoid Jesus was by being good. Because by trying to do, avoid all the sinning, they had a proud enough heart that they thought, well, I don't need Jesus then, because what does he have to forgive? And yet, kind of pride that is the most deadly to us, and that is also why it is the hardest to recognize in ourselves. But the answer first is take care of others. Look to their needs. Go to them. Um, in Romans chapter 12, I keep going back to Romans 12, 
because this is where Paul uh, sets forth how it is that we live as Christians once we understand the Christian gospel, what it is that Jesus has done for us, which he sets out in the whole first part of Romans. And then in Romans 12, it says, here's how you're supposed to live. And a part of this is love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Boy, that's not something that comes naturally, is it? Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. There we have that repetition again. When it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, you can't do that from a position of pride. That has to come through humility. But it can happen. This is a position of love. When you love someone, and you really, truly do love them, and they are honored, it makes your heart sing. When you see yourself in competition with someone, and they are honored, it makes your heart burn. And what uh, Paul is saying, what Peter is saying, is in Jesus, we have now been brought into a new family where we can love one another as brothers and sisters who are not in competition with each other but who know that we are completely and fully loved by our Heavenly Father, and therefore, we don't need the affirmations of others in order to feel secure in our identities of who we are. So we don't need to be in competition with others. We don't need to constantly be guarding our pride and angling for position. But when someone is honored, we can rejoice with them. And when someone is grieved, morning, rather than saying, well, that's not me. Our hearts go out to them. And we grieve and we mourn with them. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. This is not something you do if you're angling for position, trying to protect your pride. If you are uh, in a position under authority, you will constantly be questioning and uh, fighting and rebelling and seeking to gain authority instead. No, no, no. If you're not in competition, you're supposed to work together. This is the way it goes. And so then he goes to all of you. All of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. When he tells us to clothe ourselves with humility, I don't know if this is what is in the back of Peter's mind, but it's possible that his mind was right back there on the night of the Last Supper when Jesus got up from the table and he put a towel around his waist and clothed himself as the servant who would wash their feet. And Peter said, No, (laughs) you are not going to wash my feet. Peter was not only being proud of himself. But he was also 
trying to guard Jesus' friends. Of course, as the one who's following him, seeking to guard Jesus, kind of reflects back on himself. I'm not the kind of person who would follow a servant. I'm going to follow the king. But Jesus did come as a king, but as a servant king, who clothes himself as a servant and gets down and says, Peter, I don't watch you. You have no part of me. Then Peter says, well, don't just wash my feet, wash every part of me. Right? I love the way that Peter just goes from one extreme to another. (laughs) All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, here's where we get to the answer of all this. Here's where we get to the, uh, kind of the not only the diagnosis, but the prescription. What do we do with this? Maybe we are not recognizing our uh, ourselves, or the pride in ourselves. There, what do we do? For that, I'll give you a little preview of the book that we will begin studying this Wednesday. Beloved Dust. Both of those words are so important. In this book, it says, Our attempts to self-fulfill work themselves out in our lives in the subtlest ways. We feel anxiety, so we shop. Life is frustrating or disappointing. So we become addicted to food, television, alcohol, drugs, etc. We feel undervalued. So we try to use other people and sex to make, our, to make something of ourselves. We are insecure in our identities, so we build careers for all to see. We always feel beneath others, so we flaunt our money to try and prove we are valuable. Instead of holding these sinful inclinations up to the Lord in prayer, we turn to worldly things to try and appease our desires. These solutions offer no real help, but only cause more unrest in our soul. The only real solution is to come before the God of love in the midst of this brokenness. Now hear what Peter says again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. In other words, we have to come to the point where we say, I'm going to stop worrying and fighting and struggling to guard my own pride against any slight that people may offer, or perceived slight, or anything. But rather, I'm going to take it before the Lord and say, I am yours. Here I am, Lord, as we sang earlier. I don't deserve anything. Yet I gratefully receive what you have offered in Jesus. And in that, we are able to know that the power of God that took Jesus, who had every reason, if he were looking out for himself, to not come, to not be born, to not die, to not know hunger and temptation and sorrow. And he came for us as uh, in humility. Paul makes clear 
Philippians 2. And after dying, was raised again. Peter says, this same God will do the same for us if we trust him. Not angling for our own pride and position, but if we trust him to be the God he says he is, to do the things he has promised in Jesus, that we can let go of the pride that is eating away at our souls and believe that through it all, he will bring us to himself salvation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.